Good morning, everybody. I hope that you have had a great week this past week, and I hope our worship this morning sets a great tone for the week to come. As we get ready to jump into God's word today, let us share together in a word of prayer. Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Over these last couple of weeks, we have begun together what I believe is an incredibly important sermon series. It is a series on resiliency. Resiliency has always been important for Christians and the people of God. By nature, God's people, followers of Christ, are a resilient people. And when I say Christian, I'm talking about those individuals who seek the way of Christ as little Christs, as C.S. Lewis once said. That is, those who seek to embody and live the life of Jesus Christ in every single way, in every aspect of their lives. Wherever God's church has been, filled with followers of Christ, fully devoted to Christ, we have found resiliency. When the early church began and there was nobody in the world or culture at that time who knew the gospel, Christians remained resilient. They shared the gospel into brand new frontiers and the gospel spread. When the early church was persecuted under the emperor Nero and Christians suffered even being burned at the stake for their faith, Christians remained resilient and shared the gospel and the gospel spread. When the church experienced a reversal of fortune in the 300s and 400s AD, and they were welcomed into the empire nation state, and they were protected by the emperor Constantine, where the church was moved from the fringe to the favored, and where some in the church capitulated their allegiance to the nation state instead of a focus on Christ, there still remained faithful Christians whose allegiance was to Christ first and the gospel spread. When the dark ages came from the end of the first millennia and through the centuries into a new millennium, and there seemed to be chaos reigning, Christians remained resilient through it all in different communities spread throughout the land, and the gospel still spread. And in more recent time, with threats of slavery and racism and political tensions, where many Christians feel pulled in so many different directions, there remain today still Christ-focused, Holy Spirit-empowered individuals who are sharing the gospel, and the gospel still spreads. To be clear, nobody has ever been more resilient than Jesus himself. Despite fear, threats, temptations to his life, invitation to the powers and successes of this world, Jesus remained resilient to the very end, even in the face of death, and the gospel spread. So yes, resiliency is a really, really big deal. Resiliency is convenient in good times. I would argue it is essential in difficult times. And there is little doubt that we are currently in a difficult time. Not only do the effects of the pandemic rage on, not only do the echoes of racism stir among us, but as we have seen in recent weeks in our own country, the political divide in our nation is as high as it seems to have ever been. 
few weeks ago, I saw this comment. Maybe some of you did as well. It made me smile when I read it. It simply said, my seven-day free trial of 2021 is over, and I would now like to cancel my subscription. Sometimes I think we need a little humor. That was a couple of weeks ago. Maybe we feel even more that way here as we move through the rest of January. There's a lot going on. So what do we do? What is our response? How do we live as God's authentic, Christ-filled, Holy Spirit-filled church? And the answer is we live a resilient life. We live a resilient life. Now, how do we do that? That's really what this particular sermon series is all about. I think the timing is crucial. We are being bombarded in all kinds of ways to forego our Christ first allegiance, whether through social media or overly busy schedules or the desire for comfort or the desire for power or the desire for convenience or our own self-interest. There are so many factors that make it so incredibly difficult to remain resilient in Christ. And yet God equips the church today as God has throughout the ages and throughout the centuries with the ability to remain resilient in Christ no matter what. And one of the primary ways we can remain resilient in Christ is through holy habits. We should never underestimate the power of holy habits. Good habits might be hard, even incredibly difficult at first, but eventually they change us and they make us stronger and healthier and more resistant. And eventually, if we do them enough, those habits become part of us. It's just what we do. I love the story of Teddy Roosevelt. Many of you might know him. He was the 26th president of the United States. He was born in 1858. Throughout history, Teddy Roosevelt has been portrayed as an exuberant, strong, cowboy-type-like figure, even as he led the country as president. What's interesting about Teddy Roosevelt is that as a child, he was really quite frail. He suffered from chronic asthma. More and more of his time had to be spent confined to bed. And there was a concern that eventually he might be confined to bed forever. It was Teddy's father who came to him one day and said this, Theodore, you have the mind, but not the body. And in Theodore's father's opinion, he said, without the help of the body, the mind cannot go as far as it should. And then he said, Teddy, you must make your body strong. It is hard drudgery to make one's body, but I know you will do it. And Teddy Roosevelt, from that point on, decided he would. And with his father's help, he began lifting weights. He began hoisting himself up on horizontal bars. Slowly, day after day, he began to refashion his body, expanding his physical capabilities. It was excruciating, it was hard work, it was slow, and yet, day after day after day, he did it. Pushing his body to the absolute limit until finally, it was no longer a habit. It was simply who he was and what he did. And through it all, he became physically much more stronger, much more healthy, much more stable, much more resilient. But those habits ingrained in Teddy Roosevelt at that physical level also prepared him for a life of leadership and service where he would experience tremendous highs and tremendous lows and yet could remain resilient through it all. We too have started to focus on holy habits, good habits that are gonna help us be a more resilient people in and for Jesus Christ. 
So a few weeks ago, we talked about the habit of a physical prayer, as it were, and we've encouraged you three times a day. We've suggested 7 a.m., noon, 9 p.m., but you can do it whenever you want. Just take a few moments to pause and kneel and pray. I have personally found this specific habit powerful and influential. In the middle of the day especially, it's helping me reframe my day with no matter what's going on. I hope you are finding it significant. Last week, Pastor Janet reminded us of the importance of focus and taking a one-hour phone break every day just so we can learn to be fully present and better focused and avoid some of the distractions around us and be zeroed in on a life in Jesus Christ. The scripture, or the focus that we want to give you today, or the habit that we want to give you today to make us more resilient, is the idea of scripture first. And specifically, to begin every day with God's words first. Scripture first, before we turn anywhere else. Now, at first thought, my guess is that we hear something like that, and we say, well, yeah, that's significant. Uh, of course it's significant. We should always be in God's word. God's word is important, but I'm not sure we realize how significant this particular habit can be. The reality is that scripture has the power to shape our complete identity. Most of us choose to follow the voices and stories of others before we engage the story and the words and the reality of Jesus Christ day in and day out. Two of the biggest questions that we can ask ourselves, two of the most significant giant questions we can ask ourselves are these two questions. Number one, who am I? And number two, who am I becoming? Doesn't get any bigger than that. These are the grand questions of life. These are the biggest, most existential questions of life. And I realize a lot of times many of us are just trying to survive from one day to the next and get from one day to the next. But that is when we are merely existing. We're not really living when we're just surviving from one moment to the next. It's a, it's a matter of existing. To really live, we all need to know who we are and who we are becoming. And ultimately, these are questions of identity. When we find our place in God's story, we then discover who we are and we discover who we are becoming. Let me ask you for just a moment, wherever you are right now, think and pause. What is it you really believe? Whose story do you really belong to? And more specifically, whose voice do you most listen to to form you? What is the first voice every day that sets the tone for the day for you and speaks into who you are and who you are becoming? Just think about that for a moment. This question of story and who you are and who you're becoming, it's really the backdrop for our scripture passage today in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 60 to 69. When you get a chance, we won't do this this morning, I want to invite you to go through all of John chapter 6. It is a long chapter. In fact, it is 71 verses long. There is a lot packed into this chapter. This chapter includes Jesus feeding the 5,000. This chapter includes Jesus walking on water. And then this chapter also includes Jesus when he says that he is the bread of heaven. In other words, that's Jesus' way of saying he is the true story. He is the true reality. He uses the metaphor of him being the bread, the bread of life. So picture what's happening in this chapter. First, Jesus proves who he is. He feeds the 5,000. It's really more like 10 to 15,000 probably with children and uh, women in there. He's walking on water. That's a lot to prove who he is. 
Then Jesus teaches on who he is by giving us this metaphor of the living bread. And he says this explicitly in John chapter 6, verse 58, he who feeds on this bread, meaning himself, will live forever. And in doing that, Jesus is inviting people into his story, his reality. Jesus is saying, believe in me, live into my story, my reality, and you'll discover who you are. Take me in as we take in bread and you'll find life and discover your identity and who and whose you are. Now, Jesus was sharing this with his disciples then, but it is just as true for us as his disciples today. And so picture what's going on here. Jesus proves who he is and then he teaches these disciples about who he is. Now, after all of that is done, they've watched him feed over 5,000 people. They've watched him walk on water. I would think it would be easy to believe Jesus then when he teaches on who he is, when he teaches on his story and his reality. He's just proven it, right? He's walked on water and he's fed all these people. But apparently not. Because look what we hear in verse 60 this morning. On hearing this, everything that's just happened, many of his disciples said to Jesus, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, on the one hand, I find this utterly shocking. What more proof do you need? All these amazing things he's just done. But maybe this morning, we also find these disciples and their lack of belief somewhat comforting. Because many of us also struggle to fully believe. I, I know that I do, depending on the day and what's going on. And scripture shows us that's always been the case. Humans have always had a difficult time fully embracing and believing Jesus in the ways that he calls us to. So when Jesus claims that his story and his reality are really the true ones, and even though he's just proven it, there are still people who question that reality. In fact, if you go through these verses here this morning, 60 to 69, we find all kinds of negative responses to what Jesus is doing and teaching and sharing. We hear that the people are grumbling, verse 61. We hear that they're offended, verse 61. We hear that there is disbelief, verse 64. We hear there's rejection, verse 66. There's even betrayal, as Jesus shares this, verse 64 tells us. Each of these are reactions to not embracing the Jesus story and reality. And notice every single one of them is negative, and every single one of these responses leaves us wanting. And we see this all the time, especially today, especially in our lives. I would argue that any story, any narrative that you and I live into that does not fully embrace the reality of Jesus Christ will also leave us grumbling, feeling offended, not able to believe in anything that's really significant, feeling rejected, feeling alone without any true purpose. If you need proof of what I'm talking about, just scroll through most Facebook posts most, day, most days, and you're going to hear everything we just heard grumbling and discontentment and everything else. Why? Because we're seeking to live into a story that doesn't really define us. It doesn't tell us who we are or who we are becoming, and it leaves us wanting and searching, which makes this next interaction between Jesus and the 12 apostles that much more significant. I'm imagining at this point, if Jesus has done these miracles and he's taught on who he is, and now he sees these negative reactions from a lot of these disciples, I would bet that Jesus's heart at this point is heavy and even kind of sad. And then maybe with some sadness in his voice, 
we can hear Jesus asking his 12 disciples in verse 67. And again, just imagine him looking at them. You don't want to leave me too, do you? And then Peter, as the spokesman for these 12 apostles, says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe you know that you are the Holy One of God. You have the eternal words of life. You, Jesus, have those words of eternal life. It's Peter's way of saying, through you, Jesus, through these words that you offer, we find life forever. We find truth. We find ultimate reality. You are why we're here, Jesus. This unique phrase, the Holy One of God, it's the only time in the entire Gospel of John that we find it. I don't know exactly why that is, other than I think it might be one of the ways that the Gospel writer of John is trying to help us understand something significant, something unique is happening right here as Peter offers these words. This is a high and holy moment in the presence of the Holy One of God. And in recognizing who Jesus is, Peter is saying that we then recognize who we are. Peter's saying, Jesus, we have cast our lot with you. We are yours. It's your words, Jesus, and your story and your reality. You as the Holy One of God, that's what defines us. That's what tells us who we are. That's what tells us where we are going. It's in you, Jesus, that we then find our complete identity. And did you catch how they discover their complete identity? How did Peter and the other disciples know who and whose they were? John 66, chapter 6, verse 69, through words of eternal life. The words of Jesus are what allow Peter, the disciples, and us today to know who and whose we are. The words of life are what give us our identity. I love the way that Justin Whitmore Early says it. He says, there are no words except the words of scripture that can bear the weight of response to these questions of who am I and who am I becoming? The story of scripture is clear. We do not know who we are. We do not know our complete identity apart from the God who made us, apart from the Jesus story. And we cannot know who we're fully becoming and discover our purpose and our full identity apart from the Jesus story and God's words of life that come and renew us and shape us and mold us. Every single one of us longs to know who we are, what we're made to do, what we're called to be, and our culture says, if you want to find the answer to those questions of who you are, look inside yourself. But there's a problem when we only look inside ourselves. When we do that, we come into conflict with all the versions of ourself that are competing with ourselves for that identity that we are searching for. Think about it for just a moment. Inside each and every one of us, there are versions of who we think we should be. There are versions of what our parents think we should be. There are versions of what our spouse think we should be. There are versions of what our friends think we should be. 
There are versions of what our teachers think we should be. There are versions of what our coaches think we should be. There are versions of what our coworkers think we should be. And on and on and on, and especially versions of what our culture thinks we should be. That means when we look inside, all we're gonna find is conflict from one version competing with another to search out a particular identity. So the answer isn't look into who we are to discover who we are. The answer is look out. We become who and what we reflect. We become who we pay attention to. So let me ask you this question. What is it or who is it that you are paying attention to today? Who are you listening to? Whose words, whose voice is forming you? Now let me be even more specific. When you wake up in the morning, what is your very first impulse? Whose story, whose words first impact you and set the tone for you as you begin your day? Who is it from moment one that you are seeking to understand and become a part of? The answer for most of us is, as Pastor Janet reminded us last week, our phones. Now, for some of us, it's a television. For some of us, it's the newspaper. For some of us, it's a quick checking of email. Uh, but a lot of those things happen, again, for many of us on our phones. And the point is, for many of us, before we even get out of bed, we are listening to these stories and these voices and these words from other places seeking to form who and whose we are. The very first voice though, the very first words that we wanna hear are what Peter says today, the words of eternal life that come from the Holy One of God. Is that who we're listening to, church? Are those the first words that are shaping us for many of us, we continue to live into some of those stories that we talked about a few weeks ago. From moment one, we get up and we check our email because we think it's our work that justifies our existence. Or we get up and we, we see what's going on in the world and we see who agrees with me and who disagrees with me because that's how we train ourselves to think and to believe. And you know this, but one of the realities of social media is it's designed to foster our own interests and our own desires. And so they become echo chambers of sorts. That means we increasingly are gonna live into the stories of those we agree with, and we're gonna become increasingly angry with those who live into a different story. And you know what that means? More anger and more frustration against those who don't live into the same story as us, with anyone with a different viewpoint than myself. All of that is based on us choosing to live into stories and voices that are not of God. Every other story, other than the reality of Jesus Christ, ultimately, as the scripture reminds us this morning, is gonna leave us wanting or grumbling or offended or discontent or insecure. And for many of us, we foster all of those things, all of those forms of discontent by listening to words and voices at the start of every day that are not the words of life that Jesus gives. I wanna invite us today to listen again to Peter's words. Only these words of Christ offer us eternal life for a full identity and purpose. John chapter six, verses 68 and 69. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Only in Christ, 
in his death and in his resurrection do we realize that Jesus gave you and I a place in the universe, heirs to the king of the new heaven and the new earth. And thus we discover our most true identity, who we are and who we're becoming. It's found only in the story and reality of Jesus Christ. The story described in scripture for us, only his words remind us of this reality. Please hear that today. Aligning our identity to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords instead of our country or earthly powers allows us to have a secure identity and trust in the coming King who will eventually right all wrongs. Only with this identity can we serve the needs of our neighbors and not focus on our own inadequacies. Only with this identity can we truly repent of our wrongdoing and not just point a finger of blame at somebody else. It's the words of life that make that kind of identity a reality. I appreciate how Reverend Williams Sloan Coffin Jr. says it. We must be Christians first and good citizens second. That's the only way we can avoid being either uncritical lovers of country or loveless critics of country. But when we are citizens of heaven first, we finally become loving critics of country next, which is the truest kind of patriotism. All of this begins before we even jump out of bed in the morning. It begins with whose voice and whose words we hear and absorb and take in first, which then sets the entire tone for the rest of the day and sets the tone of our very lives. Whose story will you live into? The one told to you by Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. The one told to you by Google, Yahoo, MSNBC, Fox. Or the words, as Peter says, the words of eternal life from the Holy One of God. We discover who we are by seeing our reflections through God's words and not in handheld screens. So this week, church, the habit we want to ask you to cultivate is to focus on scripture first. Before you even get out of bed in the morning, before you turn to any other voices or stories from others to come in the day, focus on the words of Christ first. Open your Bible or open those words of life and know that you are with your heavenly father. You in those moments are with your heavenly dad. And as you listen and hear these words, you'll find your name written on the pages of life. You will learn that you are loved and valued. You will learn that your heavenly father will lovingly correct you and direct you to the ways of life. And you will begin to reflect your maker. One of the most powerful habits then that you and I can engage in is the habit of living into the Christ story first through the words of eternal life from moment one of every day. Will you join with me? Will you join with our church this week in living into this holy habit? Study after study after study has shown that nothing transforms us more into the image of Jesus Christ than immersing ourselves in scripture, bathing ourselves in the holy words that God gives to us. 
It's one of the reasons I am so very glad uh, that Pastor Janet, going into this year, raised and gave the invitation to join with her and others in reading through the entire Bible in one year. If you've not yet signed up for it, you have the opportunity to do that. It's based on some of the work with Nikki Gumbel, and if you listen and stick to the plan, it'll get you through the entire Bible in a whole year. We talk about being transformed in Jesus Christ at First Church. Nothing transforms us more than the words of God, the words of life found in Scripture. So today, church, I invite us, let's become more resilient by cultivating the habit the holy habit of scripture, the words of life first, each and every day in our lives. Before you check the news, before you check your email, before you do anything else, engage God's words of life and see what God does. Let's become a more resilient people.